This is Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. Hey, Amy. Hi, Greg. All right. We have a couple questions about abortion today, and mm-hmm. one of them is actually about Roe, and I, so I just wanted to let people know that we're actually recording this a little bit early since you'll be on vacation. First of June. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, it's still May now, the 31st, so for the record. So it could be that by the time this airs, we will know what has happened with mm-hmm. Roe. But um, so just so you're aware, listener, <laughs> that uh, we will be discussing this without knowing how that turned out. All right, Greg. The, f- the first question comes from This is America. Do aborted fetuses, no matter the stage of embryonic development, go to heaven? If so, then what's the controversy? If not, then why not? Well, this is a variation of a question we've answered before. Um, and there's actually two questions here. It ha- and that is, what is the fate of human beings who die before the age of accountability? <clears throat> now, I, I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm not saying people or persons because these are uh, rhetorically vague terms that um, are used illicitly, I think, to disqualify a certain class of human being from being bona fide members of the human family, okay, or human community, rather. They are already the human family, but not necessarily the human community, just like during slavery, human beings were disqualified as being protected members of the human community. Um, So when does a human being become a human being? When that human being becomes. It's true of any kind of being. They are what they are when they come into existence. And when is that? Uh, That is that conception. Um, Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's in science. It's pretty straightforward. What's in the Bible is those human beings that exist as humans are made in God's image, all right? And we learn that each individual comes into existence when uh, when a, 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 a sperm and a cell, pardon me, an egg, unite to form a zygote. And that is the first moment of that individual's life, and it continues to be that same individual throughout he, his or her entire life, okay, uh, all that changes is what that individual looks like as it develops naturally from one phase to the other. And by the way, that's not limited to uh, the uh, what happens inside the womb. That is true our entire lives, okay? So when you think about it, there are four different times in life, broadly, where you look nothing like you're, like you do at other times of your life, okay? When you're born, when you're a high schooler, when you're an adult, and when you're an old person, okay? Uh, and so that's because living things change their appearance without change, changing what they are. It's the nature of living things. Okay, so um, that's all to make the point that the unborn are humans at every stage of their existence and therefore made in the image of God and are therefore valuable. The passage through the birth canal is is not a, a, a metaphysically significant event, okay? What is the difference between being inside the birth canal and outside of the birth canal is just a change of location. The individual is exactly the same, just 
a couple of minutes before as it is a couple of minutes after when the transition takes place. It's a change of location. Now, this is all largely common sense. It shouldn't require um, heavy argumentation. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. So the, uh, and by the way, we know this. This is why when is your baby due is a common question asked of pregnant women. When is your baby due? Well, it's the baby, oh, my baby kicked me the, today. I felt my baby move. This is a common acknowledgement of a common sense reality that the human child inside the womb is just growing and developing before it makes, he or she makes their grand appearance on their birthday. Okay. So, um, that should be without controversy. Now, the question theologically is what happens to any unborn or postborn individual um, who doesn't survive long enough to be able to kind of figure out right and wrong and all that other stuff. Now, the Bible does not address the I'm sorry, specifically or address this issue, but there are some indications that, and we've talked about this before, that um, that it's not until a child can understand right and wrong that any right and wrong issues can be attributed to their account, so to speak. They don't get praised or blamed in either case, if they can't make the distinction between right or wrong. And this happens sometime as they're growing up, and I don't know when that is, and we can kind of figure some things out maybe, but it's a speculation. The important thing is God knows, okay? So before a child does right or wrong, um, my view is, and it's not an uncommon view, is that if they die, they are saved by the grace of God regarding original sin, but they haven't committed any sins themselves. And if you look at Revelation chapter 20, the great judgment there, the judgment is made on the basis of the deeds that people have done. Children haven't done any moral deeds. They can't make the distinction there, Children, younger ones, certainly not the unborn. Um, and therefore, there are no moral crimes against their account, and by God's grace, then, I think he takes them to heaven. That's my conviction, and I have some reasons, but I could be mistaken about that, because the Bible doesn't speak directly. Okay, but this then brings us to the next point. And the question is, well, if the unborn um, are human beings made the image of God and who go to heaven immediately if there's a miscarriage, say, then what's the problem with abortion? Okay, that's the second part of the question. And uh, so I'm just going to move the date here forward a little bit to help people see the implication of their question. Okay, if a a six-month-old baby dies and goes to heaven, What's the problem with infanticide? Now, I think the person who asked this first question, when countenancing infanticide, will say, well, that's just wrong. You don't kill a baby to get them into heaven. Yes, exactly. Even though the end is appealing, the means is not appropriate. And in moral actions, there are always relationships between means and and ends. You can have a good end and a bad means. You can have a bad means and a good end. In order to have a good act, it has to be a good end and a good means. Okay? Just because some people, like myself, are convinced that um, children 
or embryos who are aborted or miscarried go directly to heaven doesn't mean it is appropriate for me to take action against that embryo, that fetus, or that six-month-old to guarantee they get into heaven. That's God's business. It isn't mine. In the image of God, God created man. And this is the reason why, if you shed man's blood, by man your blood shall be shed. Now, this is Genesis 9-6. Very early, God initiates capital punishment as a punishment for taking an image bearer. You take an image bearer's life, you sacrifice your life in return. That's that's lex talionis. That's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth. That is, the punishment is fitting to the crime there, okay? I don't know why it would make any difference if that human being in view is a six-month-old human being, which I I hope <laughs> at least every Christian person would acknowledge that that's wrong. Um, I don't see the difference between that and a, a six-month-old fetus. Same human being in question here, just a different stage of development, that's all. And if it's wrong in the second, in the first case, it's wrong in the second case, all for the same reason, that it is, we, we don't try to guarantee people getting into heaven by murdering them. Uh, I, duh. You don't even have to stop at the six-month-old. If you apply this principle to everyone, then it should be legal to kill Christians. What's yeah. the what's the controversy? That's right. They're going to heaven. Why should right. why should I care if 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 you kill Christians? Especially if you're Arminian and you think maybe along the line they might lose their salvation. When you're pretty convinced they got their salvation, let's knock them out, take them out, get them into heaven, signed, sealed, and delivered. Right? I I think this. I always try to figure out why somebody would think this would be persuasive to a Christian. There are a lot of misunderstandings about who God is and our relationship to him, because what this comes across to me like is manipulating God, Mm -hmm. as if there's some sort of a loophole. Hey, there's a loophole. You're wasting all your time telling people about Jesus when you could just be killing babies. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not, that's not how it works. We, first of all, we don't presume on God's grace. I, I don't know that you know, any baby that is saved is purely by God's grace, as you said, Greg. Mm-hmm. And I we should never presume on that and assume that, okay, we found a loophole, mm-hmm. so now we can save ourselves a lot of time and just end their lives. You don't need apologetics. <laughs> That's not how God has set up the an world. Abortionist. Right. And it, it is such an evil to say that we would send people to heaven by murdering them. I it, It's... Hopefully, if you're a Christian out there and you're listening to this, even if you can't explain why that's wrong, you can immediately think that doesn't that mm-hmm. doesn't seem right to me at all mm-hmm. because it's not right. We are as you said, Greg, we there are means that God has God has set the world up in a certain way for a reason. We give the gospel for a reason. We're glorifying God. He's working in the world. We don't just our goal isn't simply to send people to heaven. It's to live out our lives in a way that honors God and, mm-hmm. and promotes his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more going on here. And God is not just, a, you know, someone who could be manipulated with right. loopholes. That's a great way to put it. So let's go to a second question about abortion, Greg. This one is from Alo Consen. Will Americans become largely pro-life after Roe v. Wade is reversed? 
since most Americans regard the legality of an action as a proxy for its morality slash virtue slash goodness? Well, it's hard to tell the impact it's going to have. I agree with the concept, have written about this, in fact, that the law is a tutor for us to form our conscience. And uh, this is why we train kids to do right, and we punish them if they do wrong. We reward them to do right because we're trying to train their conscience about what is what is right and what is wrong. And if it works for children, I don't see why it can't work for society. Um, but uh, it it th- there is going to be a contingent that are never going to give up on this because they are not interested in what is right and true and good. They are interested in doing what they want. And so when a moral argument supports or can be seen to support what they really want, then they're going to use that. But when you show them that their moral justification is not any good, like in this situation, then they don't abandon their view about abortion to adopt what's good and right and true. They just find some other kind of uh, shallow justification for doing what they really want to do to begin with. And if they can't find any justification, then they'll still do it. And they say, okay, so I'm killing a human being and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do it anyway. There, the, 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 the air is filled with rhetoric by pro-abortion people who are coming up with some shallow, um, vacuous justification for, what, for, for the righteousness of abortion. I just read one recently. It just, I can't even read. I'm going to talk about it on the show later today, but it, it, just to read it turns your stomach. Abortion is an act of love was the conclusion of this particular person. And it's just bizarre. It's an act of love towards the child to kill the child. But there are a number, actually a number of arguments that are advanced for abortion that are like this. Well, the child's not going to be happy. It's unwanted. So let's kill the child through abortion so it doesn't grow unhappy because it's unwanted. I mean, there's another variation of that. And, uh, of course, the only reason that the child would be unhappy is if the unwanted, if the parents who didn't want the child treated the child poorly. So the lack of virtue is on the side of the parents. That's the problem here. So parents are saying, well, I'm going to treat this kid terribly and they're going to be miserable, so I might as well just kill him now. It, it's nonsense. It's utter foolishness. But these are the kinds of things that people advance. Those kinds of people who advance those kinds of arguments are never going to be persuaded. Okay, they're just going to be angry. And that's why maybe now as a matter of record, all kinds of violence has been committed against pro-life churches or organizations or crisis pregnancy centers or whatever in virtue of, you know, the, the change in the legal status of abortion through the reverse or Roe v. Wade, presuming that's what happens. But I know right now that that's already been happening in anticipation of it. Okay, the violence against pro-life churches, for example. And uh, so this is, this, this is their response. This is the way that side responds. It's our way or the highway, and if we don't get our way, even if we can't sanitize it with silly arguments, we are just going to take it, and if you take it from us, we're going to pay, you're going to pay for doing that. We're going to brutalize you. We're going to burn things. We're going to bomb things. We're going to blow things up. We're going to hurt people. That's the way they work. 
Okay, that's the, that is what they're committed to. All right, they are not committed to virtuous things on balance. Okay, now there is the mushy middle. The mushy middle doesn't know how to think about this, and so when the law, if the law gets changed, then the mushy middle is going to be informed. I think to some degree by the fact that it's, it's probably not right if it's illegal, and that that will that will help educate their opinions. Um, but the best way to educate their opinions is is to help people see why it's wrong and therefore ought not to be legal. So they have some substance to it. I think, well, what I suspect is going on with the people who are reacting so intensely, I think a lot of this has to do with guilt. I think people have had abortions and they've justified that in their minds and any time you have society if 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 they lose the support of society they have to face the truth about what they've done and that is impossible i when i try to imagine trying to make my peace with that without the gospel i i couldn't even imagine how people would do that and i think a lot of what's happening right now the reaction has to do with that even possibly even more than the fact that they won't have abortions in the future. I think there's, they have to protect this justification in their mind of societal approval. And so what I suspect will happen is as time goes on, you, and there are fewer people who have had abortions, I think people will be more open to seeing Mm, the truth about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And we've seen, I mean, just think about slavery. Surely, I mean, there was obviously a very intense reaction at the beginning with people who did not agree that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. But of course, now all of our consciences are informed by the laws against slavery, mm-hmm. and you don't have anyone who's defending it because it's their—they have a personal stake in it, right? So both those, which things, is the way it was originally done. There's a mm-hmm. personal stake in keeping blacks as slaves. I mean, this is the arguments that, that Lincoln had to deal with when debating this particular right. issue in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, for example. And and I'm sure there was guilt involved there, too. You can't have people telling you that what you're doing is wrong. You can't admit that to yourself, so you have to fight tooth yeah. and nail to keep the people enslaved and keep people believing that they're not valuable human beings. Yeah. So I think both those things together, that the law will over time convince people, but partly because people will stop feeling the need to justify themselves as time goes on. And this is why I love that Life Training Institute speaks to so many young people, because I think we need to convince them before they start trying to justify actions they've already taken. Yeah, Yeah, LTI, Scott Klusendorf's organization, Scott was eight years with us and then launched out his own enterprise and does a magnificent job training up teachers and speakers. Uh, Megan Allman, one of her, his team, uh, has spoken for us a number of times. So, uh, yeah, that's right. We have to get the word out. We have to do the training. And incidentally, this is another one of those issues that is not hard biblically, because if you look at Luke chapter 1, there is John the Baptist in the second trimester leaping with joy in his mother's womb because he's in the presence of Jesus, who is a zygote inside of Mary. And one last thing, Greg, when you mentioned the, I don't know if that's an Instagram or a tweet that that you mentioned where somebody Mm -hmm. was saying that they were doing the baby they were doing good for the baby by killing them. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of our 
last episode where we were talking about how love is informed by the truth that God's already revealed by the law. That's right. So we know because of the law, because of what God has said about the truth about morality, that it's not loving to kill someone. Mm -hmm. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So again, when we start making up these ideas. No duh, right? (laughs) Well, apparently it's not that clear to people. This is an example to me of a satanic scheme, Ephesians 6, where things are completely upside down and people just don't see it. And this is why, and this is just an encouragement to all those who are listening, we have to inform our consciences with the truth. That's right. And that's what it says. I Is this, now I can't remember if it's Romans 12 or which is the verse where it talks about how you... Uh, Renew your mind so that you can prove the will of God, so you can know what the will of God is. That's true, Romans 12, chapter yeah. uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. That's how we do it. Yeah. That's how the way we know right from wrong is by reading God's revealed word, seeing who he is, seeing his commands to us. The commands define love. What I'm amazed at, Amy, is that I know where that verse is in Romans, and you <laughs> well, did because sure. Romans is your book. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was Romans 12, or there's another There's another verse, I think, in, in Hebrews, that, and so I wasn't sure which one it was. Oh, but, the Hebrews chapter, the end of chapter 5, beginning 6, having our senses trained that to might determine be, yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. So I, but but that's, the, the one I was thinking of was the one where it says, you, you renew your mind so that you can know what the will right, of God is exactly. in terms of knowing what's right and wrong. Good and right and true. Mm-hmm. That's, and perfect is the way it puts it, yeah. And we are all in danger. If we do not do this, we're all in danger of hearing these, these arguments for things like killing your baby. And we are fallen people. We cannot trust our own ideas about how to help people. I I mean, to a certain extent, we can, but we can be easily swayed if it's in our interest. Right. Uh, That's it. The self-interest part, there's two aspects of it. One of them is if if, um, you're the pregnant person who is facing a problem and now your self-interest is influencing your judgment on this, but there's also a self-interest if you're not when you have friends that are so pro-abortion, they're going to really give you trouble if you're pro-life. And this is what we face even now. I don't even, where we sit on the timeline, we don't know yet what the official decision will be from SCOTUS, but we, you know, just the intimation that maybe Roe would be overturned has created all kinds of hostility towards pro-lifers in the public square. And so that's a hostility a lot of people just Christians are not willing to to um, to live with uh, when they should be counting it all joy. Jesus, Matthew five, count it all joy when you experience persecution. You know, I, I look. I'm not saying this glibly. <laughs> I know that it's not easy to do that, but I'm trying. This is where, as you pointed out, Amy, our lives need to be informed by what the truth says, mm-hmm. which is why I campaign continually for reading through the whole Bible. And then starting over again, and your whole life, you're just working through the Bible over and over and over again to get the full counsel of God. And I will say specifically, two books focus almost entirely on persevering, and it's Hebrews and First Peter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had never really noticed before how much Hebrews is focused. That that is yes. the entire focus right. of Hebrews, and it's based on the idea that look, Jesus 
persevered. He did not give in to temptation to walk away from the will of God. And so we need to do the same thing. And it's the whole thing is an argument for that. Not walking away from Jesus when you are persecuted or you're hurt. So those two books I would recommend for anyone who wants to think more deeply about persevering and uh, not giving in to the temptation to walk away from God. Well, thank you for your questions. We love hearing from you. We need to hear from you. So make sure you send those in on Twitter with the hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 